A reading from the book of Zechariah. The word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts shall be called the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of their great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Even though it seems impossible to the remnant of the this people in these days, should it also seem impossible to me, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to live in Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God, in faithfulness and in righteousness. Now a reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Then the disciples brought to Jesus a demoniac who was blind and mute. And he cured him so that the one who had been mute could speak and see. All the crowds were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons, that this fellow casts out the demons. He knew what they were thinking, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your own exorcists cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be We are in the midst of a family conversation here about some important topics. How many of you grew up in or live in families now where every once in a while mom or dad or someone says, we need to sit down and have a family conversation? Come on, admit it. <clears throat> It's not always necessarily about a problem or a bad thing. Maybe it's we need to have a family conversation about where we're going on vacation, something like that. Who knows? At any rate, we're having a family conversation with each other about topics that are important to all of us. We've been thinking together, conversing together, praying together about some of the issues that face us in the world today and in our own lives. Let me mention just a few words to highlight what some of those things are. Let me say the word Brexit. <laughs> Let me say the word Syria or Iraq. Let me mention Russia and China and the United States. Let's bring it in a little bit more. Let's talk about race relations and gun violence. How about let's talk about the presidential 
election. <laughs> no, let's not. Okay. <laughs> we don't have to go that far out even. Let's talk about some of the problems we have in the world that are just part of our own tiny little world. Let's talk about getting along with your spouse or your ex-spouse or your ex-spouses. Let's talk about getting along with your parents or your children. Let's talk about getting along with ourselves. Now, every single one of those things that I just mentioned has a common problem associated with it, and that's the problem of getting along with each other. I'll let you in on a secret about the choir. Sometimes the sopranos and the altos don't get along with each other. <laughs> the tenors are known for not getting along with anybody. <laughs> and the basses are everybody's friends. <laughs> I'm not prejudiced. We're talking about the problem of human community. How many of you sometimes want to get away from the problems of human community? How many of you ever fantasize about going to a deserted island somewhere where there's only you? It's going to be a crowded island, isn't it? Yeah. It's a fantasy because it's not reality. The reality is we really don't want to be completely alone in the world except for those times when it's tough to be with other folks. We're asking a question and we're thinking about that question from the perspective of our faith. We follow Jesus. We think that Jesus... And the faith that he taught has something to say to us about everything, especially about this business of getting along. And so this whole fall, we're talking about the question. We've discussed the question so far, particularly in terms of relationship with getting along with God. How do you and I as individual people get along with God? You see, we know that if we cannot get along with our creator, then everything else is going to be a mess as well. We've talked about how God welcomes us into a relationship with him and how God gives us all kinds of things to do, all kinds of things to know that help that relationship along. God welcomes us to the dinner table. God welcomes us as he forgives us and washes us and makes us new again. God teaches us because he loves us as we sit under his word. There are all kinds of ways in which we individually have a relationship with God, but because we do not live on a deserted island, we also then have to talk about how we get along with each other. 
And that's one of the things that the Scripture does, particularly in terms, first of all, of, of how we get along with other people who are also in a relationship with God. You see, as soon as you have a relationship with God, you necessarily have a relationship with other people who have a relationship with God. That's the way God made it to be. And so for the next few Sundays, we're going to focus not so much on our individual relationship with God as we are going to talk about the nature of our relationships with each other, with all of those folks who also know God and whom God has called to be part of his family, part of his village, part of his body, part of his community. Now, right there, I just used a few words to describe who we are using some of the metaphors, some of the pictures that the Scriptures give to us. I most often think of us as a family because I love my family, my family loves me, and I love you. And I think we love each other. We are a family. That's one of the dominant images of the Scriptures, that the people of God are a family. Another major image of the Scriptures is that the people of God are a body. We all have different roles to play because we're all different parts of the body, but we are one body. We'll talk more about those in subsequent Sundays. Today, what I want to talk about is another of the major pictures that the scriptures hold out for us that help us understand who we are as people who worship the same God, as people who have been called together by the same Savior. And that's an image that speaks of us as a kingdom or a city, or in my favorite way of thinking about it, as a village. I like that word, village. It's a great word. It's a word that means a lot to me, and I hope it means a lot to you. Let's turn to the Scriptures for a moment and look at where this image, this picture or metaphor of the church comes into play. Let's go back and talk about Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is one of those prophets about whom we don't know very much and uh, whose material we have very little of. So the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament is pretty short. And it's along with a lot of those other books at the end of the Old Testament that are so short that most of us have skipped over them most of our lives. Right? You're flipping through the Bible and it's easy to find the Psalms because the Psalms is a big book. It's easy to find Isaiah or Ezekiel. Those are big books. But then you start picking up speed and all of a sudden you've skipped past all these prophets and you find yourself in Matthew or in Romans. Now I realize the image I just gave you is an image that comes from using an actual book. Right? If you hit the search engine on your iPhone and said, go find Zechariah, this iPhone is smarter than we are. It finds Zechariah immediately. But we don't know a lot about Zechariah, mostly because preachers don't talk much about it. But let's talk about Zechariah. Zechariah was one of those Jews whose family probably was deported into Babylon, modern-day Iraq and Iran, when the Babylonian Empire obliterated the Jewish nation 
in about the year 587. Zechariah has come back because the Persians overtook the Babylonians. You see, nothing is new in the Middle East. Things are always changing there. The Persians overtook the Babylonians, and the Persians said to the Jews, go home, go back to your homeland, join up with your cousins and the family who stayed there, and become a nation again. And Zechariah is one of those who is trying to help the family become a nation again. He was reminding these people about their ancient history, that God had called these people to be his people, that God had promised to make them into a great nation, that indeed that had happened under David and under Solomon, and the nation of Israel had flourished, but then it had faltered. It lost its mojo. It lost its way, and it was obliterated. And now Zechariah and others have come back to try to put it back together again. Now it's very easy to say those words without really getting in touch with the deep, deep pathos of that situation. But think of it in these terms. I have shared with you photographs and stories of cities and nations that have been torn apart by war. And we've seen them all of our lives if we've paid attention. We've seen the pictures from World War I and World War II of cities obliterated, of nations wiped out, of people starving, of people grieving and perhaps never recovering the loss of those whom they've loved. We understand just from those few images a little bit of what it means to come home to bombed out, burned out streets where most of the people we knew are gone, where the economy is wrecked, where all the structures of society that had once held us together are now gone, where all we're doing is fighting with each other and trying to make our way. That's the situation into which Zechariah preached. It would be easy for us to understand why the people who had come home and why the people who stayed might have said to Zechariah and others like him, you say that things are going to be better, but really, who are we trying to kid? Zechariah has a word from the Lord. The Lord says, I have never left you. The Lord says, I have always loved you. The Lord says, I will restore you and renew you. The Lord says, I will bring you from all over the globe to come home to Jerusalem. I will be your God. I will dwell in your midst and things will be beautiful again. Zechariah gives us an amazing image of what it's like for people to look forward to a time when their lives are put back together. He says old men and old women will sit in the streets with their canes and boys and girls, the children will play in the streets. I love that image. It captured my mind this last week especially because Zechariah wanted to talk about old men. 
Isn't that a beautiful thought? You've seen the pictures. You've heard the stories. You've watched the newsreels. I've been to those places, as some of you have, where in the streets of the city, people have been killing each other. Where in the streets of the city, no one dares to go because it's too dangerous. And yet one day, in the city that God will restore, it will be so safe, it will be so peaceful, that the old folks will sit on the front porch, rocking in their rocking chairs, drinking their sweet tea, and looking out at all the grandchildren playing in the streets. I've been to those kind of cities where people have come home. Cities that they have left because their relatives and friends have been executed or obliterated. Cities and streets where all of the buildings are unrecognizable because they've been destroyed by rockets and bombs. Cities and streets where there's nothing left but people still come home. And they find a place to start a business. They find a place to live again. And the children start playing in the streets again. One of the most haunting images that I ever have seen or ever will is watching children wearing rags playing soccer with a tin can because they didn't even have a ball. But still they're playing. Zechariah says that God will rebuild the city. God will rebuild the community. And it's only by God's power that that will happen. Fast forward 550 years from the time of Zechariah to the time of Jesus. Israel has been rebuilt in a way. The city of Jerusalem has been rebuilt in a fashion. The new temple is not as glorious and grand as the old, but the walls have been rebuilt and the city is living again. The nation of Israel and the practice of their faith is living again, but, but still they're threatened. Still they're trying to find their way. The Romans have come in, the Jewish leaders are corrupt, and a new preacher comes on the scene. A new teacher. And he says God still is about the business of rebuilding his family, his community, his place. Jesus arrives on the scene and starts to remind the people of their history, of who they are, of the God who loves them, of the God who can remake their individual lives as well as their lives as a community. And he does so with such an amazing power that people begin to resist. We're told the story in Matthew, that a demoniac is brought to Jesus, someone whose life has been overtaken with evil. Don't worry about exorcisms and demons and all that kind of stuff. We can talk about that later. Get this point in your head and in your heart. Here's a person whose life is overtaken by evil. Here's a person who's struggling with something that is not of God. Here's a person who needs somebody to deliver him from the demons that he faces. Truth be told, every single person in this room has our own demons like that. Jesus appears and says, 
be well. And he's healed. He's restored. He's renewed. And people begin to look at Jesus and say, wow, that's amazing. Maybe he's the one that's been promised for so long, the one who will heal and restore and renew everything. But the Pharisees are threatened by it. They're not so sure they're happy about it. They level a charge at Jesus. They say, oh, that's just the power of the devil at work. And Jesus says, really? Are you kidding me? The devil doesn't work against himself. Nobody does. Because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Instead, open your minds, open your hearts, and see what I am doing here. The kingdom of God has come to be among you now. In me. In my words, in my teaching, in my actions. I think Zechariah would have been pleased. That's too mild a word. Zechariah would have seen Jesus and said, that's what we've been waiting for. Someone who can put it all back together again. Someone who can create, or better said, recreate the kingdom of God, the community of God on earth. That's what Jesus was doing. That little community that Jesus created, those few people who said, yes, this is what it's about, this is how we'll live, this is who we'll follow, this is what we'll do, that little community went and started more little communities, little villages of faithful people. And now those villages are all around the world. And you and I are privileged to be part of one. That's who we are. We are people who follow Jesus. We are people who say God has a different way of doing things in the world that's not about destroying communities and destroying people, but about calling them to health and wholeness and well-being. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's what we hope. It happens in so many ways through the life of this church. Yesterday, a small handful of us went down to Mexico to build a tiny little home, but still a home for a family there. Later on this fall, lots of us will gather to keep building homes for people. But that's not the only thing that we do. We take care of each other in this community of faith because every single person in this room sometimes needs a hug or a helping hand. Our deacons do that. All of our folks do that. Everything that we do in the life of this church is designed to help us be a healthy and whole and complete village where we can learn how to replicate that lifestyle out in the rest of the world. And where we hope that one day people will look at our little community of faith and say, they're getting it right there. And even the sopranos and the altars are getting along. That's a sign of the presence of God's kingdom. <laughs> Jesus reminds us 
And then Jesus lives out for us. And then Jesus enables in us by the power of his spirit the ability to live together in a happy and healthy community of faith. He said to those Pharisees, he said to the healed man, he said to everyone who would listen, the kingdom of God has come among you and it's in me. It's in who I am and in what I say and in what I do and in where I lead you to go with me. This is World Communion Sunday when we as this tiny little village of the Village Church gather together with Christians all around the globe, with folks who are part of those 33,000 denominations that exist in the world, and we say that the denominations don't make any difference, the divisions don't make any difference, the only thing that makes a difference is Jesus. The only thing that makes a difference is when people come together to follow a common Lord and to learn to love each other as he loves us and as we love him. And so we come to this table to demonstrate for the whole world that all of God's people are welcome to come. We don't care what your politics is. We don't care what your race is. We don't care what your address is. We don't care what your age is. We don't care what your gender is. We don't care about anything except that God's people are called to the table to have a common meal together. And in that common meal to share peace to share love, to be a community of faith. I'll leave you with one question. What are you doing to help that community th grow and thrive and live? How are you taking part in the life of this community? What are you doing to share the love and to build up the village in which we live, a village that's not just here, but a village that's all around the world. By virtue of your being here, you're doing something. What more can you do? You see, we have the high calling of coming around this table and then going out from it. And so let's come now to have a visit with Jesus again, to be with Jesus' people. Jesus reminds us that all of God's people one day will come from north and south, from east and west, and we will sit at table in the kingdom of God. Ministering in his name, I invite you to come, to partake of Jesus himself, to be filled with Jesus himself, so that we can go do his work in the world. Come and share the feast.